Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, Brendo, Steve here. Hey, Larson. Yeah, welcome back to our newest Dark Side of the Ring review. This time... The UWF uh, Dark Side of the Ring Cocaine and Cowboy Boots, the Herb Abrams story. This was, of course, about the UWF. Yes. Stood for United Wrestling Federation. Is that what it was? Universal. Universal Wrestling Federation. Universal Wrestling Federation. Yeah. So apparently this started to crystallize in the mind of Herb Abrams in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, It's interesting to see here the genesis of it. Uh, and his initial recruitment pitch happened at a wrestling convention, one of the very first ones. I like that you use the word uh, that you crystallize in his mind because it's the only, not the only crystals in his mind. There's a lot of cocaine. This yeah, episode, cocaine. I didn't take I didn't take a single note because Nor I think I. that there's kind of a more interesting conversation to be had about uh, about competition for the WWF in general yeah. than than you know because this look. This this story is a very simple one. It's a guy who loved to party. He loved people. People loved him. That's one thing that I thought that that the documentary in general didn't get across until they talked about his death. Mm-hmm. What because I was I was surprised. I mean, I'm just fast forwarding the end here. He died in in, in spectacularly scandalous fashion in a, in a fit of cocaine seeming rage of some sort. Yeah, a baseball bat, and then he had a heart attack or whatever. When I mean, he was all like uh, oil, you know, like he was covered in Vaseline or baby oil or something. Yeah, like that. and what struck me was how I got teary eyed seeing uh, Steve Steve Ray, not to be confused with Booker T's brother, with Steve Ray crying, saying this guy believed in me, and then the other guy, I forget his name, who was his like right hand man or whatever. Oh, Lenny, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was crying and. I mean, this he died like twenty years ago, and or twenty five years ago now, mm-hmm. and they didn't. To me, they didn't really get to the point during the documentary how much he was loved to generate that reaction in people. Yeah, they laid out a bunch of reasons why he would not be loved. Right, stiffing yeah. people on money, uh, putting people in really awkward and uncomfortable situations, being uh, naked constantly. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, things that might, uh, to certain people, rub them the wrong way. And that was kind of established. So when the, at the end of the episode, 
when you see these really intense, genuine emotional reactions, just talking about his 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 death twenty five plus years ago, um, yeah, they didn't exactly lay the groundwork. I mean, like I know the the, the that that guy Lenny talked about how you know they were best friends for years and years and years and years, um, even before I believe uh, Herb Abram started the UWF. Mm-hmm. So that that that's like the only inclination we get that on a personal social level that any of these people were really close. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, given the, given the circumstances of, of the long, basically everything about UWF, um, it's shocking that as many people stuck around as long as what they did. Yeah. When he and, said they were still in the office in like 96, I was like, how was that possible? Um, there's got to be some intense uh, personal connections made for people to stick through it that long. You know, you, the yeah. first show they have in the first people they have in Florida in this in this civic center and a couple hundred people show up, you know, and, and it, it would seem pretty obvious at that point. This ain't going anywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah. This thing's DOA, you know, yeah. and then, uh, you know, stick it out and come back around a year later, do the show in Vegas. And the same thing happens, which is, you know, they made it seem the documentary. That was the de facto end of the promotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it still seems like through all his hijinks, through all the crazy stuff he did, through all the, the instances of him stiffing people money, people still just like the guy. Yeah, and that was that did seem to be the the missing piece of the puzzle is that you see and you see you have to infer all this stuff, which is not really probably the approach you want to get from a documentary because there's so much cocaine and there's so many hooker stories and there's so many stories about him stiffing people on their pay, which is a much bigger issue. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pictures of him with a lot of smiling people. Um, and he comes across as a guy that has an infectious personality. And I mm-hmm. think that's what it is. But they never really gave us any stories about how that sort of was his selling point. Because Mm -hmm. he had to have some sort of selling point beyond just, hey, I've got a lot of money and I'm making a go Mm -hmm. of this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there there was, you know, him telling uh, Steve Ray, hey, I'm going to make you a star. We're going to make a lot of money together. Um, What what also kind of not really surprised me, I guess, but especially because it was like back in the late 80s, early 90s um, was just how, you know, somebody comes up to you. And they have a lot of money. Hey, I'm going to make you a star. Just how many people like sort of buy in? You know, it's like, oh, he's got money. I it took that guy talking to Bruno, the, the convention mm-hmm. organizer, talking to Bruno, mm-hmm. to Bruno um, to make so, sure the guy, that he was legit. Yeah. But I mean, this his ability to get, you know, Dr. Death to get Paul or Andre to, to get Andre even just for a appearance. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I to get Bruno involved, mm-hmm. yeah. um, his ability to talk t- to these people and convince them that this isn't some fly by night thing. He's serious about this and he's mm-hmm. invested in it. Yeah, um, it's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was. There's a lot of comical stories. I mean, the, the 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 final bit where they talked about his death, and it's this tragic thing, but obviously it's steeped in just in in dark humor because nobody even really knows exactly how he died. They just sort of surmise he was either in the back of a cop car, it was either in inside jail, it was either you know on the spot when the cops were trying to arrest him. It was one of those things. Mm-hmm. Regardless, he was hepped up on cocaine and his heart probably exploded. That's probably mm-hmm. what happened here. But you know all the the silly reenactment out of focus stuff, and they still like pixelate out his his, area. his junk, know. his hog, I know. I know. and they go through every scenario that people are thinking of, and I'm like. 
this is the funniest reenactment of a death I've ever seen in my life. And it's so darkly comical, um, but it's very fitting for him because obviously it that's is. the life well, he led. As, as is B. Brian Blair's uh, statement that he, he died doing the two things he loved. Yeah, exactly. And hookers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the baseball bat, evidently. Uh, so it, the, 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 one of the more interesting stories. So I was watching Lacey was sitting next to me. We were watching this and she said, um, she said, uh, so I'll pose this question to you. Why has Vince McMahon been able to stay in business at the top as long as he has? Why is it? There's never been, I mean, yes, there was WCW, but really they were a competitor truly for 83 weeks. Yeah. Um, why is it Vince McMahon has stayed at the top? Now I have my answer. I want to hear yours. Uh, <laughs> ruthless aggression. That's what it is. <laughs> it's ruthless aggression. Sure, he has money, but he he's not afraid to go for the kill. See, I I actually put it not on him. I put it on lack of a lack of focused competition. That's when 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 the the few times when somebody's been able to focus, when Bischoff was able to focus and he had a plan and the money and then but it was obvious that that plan was very short term and that plan was yeah. Yeah. it was had the ingredients to fall apart after 83 weeks, which is what mm-hmm. happened. Um, and now we now we actually have AEW, so it is going to be very interesting in 10 years to see where that lands. Yeah, but. You know, she asked, she's like, why has he been able to stop, you know, stay at the top? And I'm looking at, at UWF. It's because nobody who has had the money to threaten Vince McMahon or to start up something of their own to try to compete with him. Mm-hmm. Nobody's had the singular vision or they just haven't had the money to compete. Like in the case of the Dino Bravo one yeah. where, you know, they were they were local and they never had the means to be more than local. Yeah, and I think that was a case in the territory days kind of across the board is, yeah, they were holding things down in their territory, but when Vince comes in and starts swooping your stars and you're like, the same thing happened to AWA, mm-hmm. you know, they yeah. were trying to compete on a more national level. They moved uh, their TV tapings from, I, I think, Minneapolis to Vegas mm-hmm. in their waning days. And even with the they deal with ESPN, they couldn't do it. And they there had is, star power. There is even, I mean, look, and, and, and going back to what you said, ruthless aggression, that's obviously like, you know, Vince McMahon, he was no pushover. It's not like anybody could have come and here. As soon as Andre showed up, what did he do? He busted out his Looked checkbook in. and he yep. brought back Andre. So, yes, yep. there is totally, you know, you, you do lay probably most of it at Vince McMahon and his ruthless aggression and how he responds um, when his back is up against the wall. We've seen Vince McMahon can respond, but he's also been helped, I think, by the fact that whenever there's been competition, they shoot themselves in the foot. I'm on page 400 something of this mm-hmm. Nitro book, and I'm in the thick of the Russo days. I'm I'm Oof. reading up on Bash of the Beach right now, Oof. and it's like there could have been any number, any number of ways WCW could have held it together. And in the end, who knows if you know at the end of the day when the AOL thing went through, you mm-hmm. know the bottom line is people there didn't like it, but. Um, you know, it also didn't help that they were they had lost or on the books anyways. Bischoff says because of the way they structured their budget within Turner, he was like, I don't really think we lost sixty one million dollars in nineteen ninety nine. But yeah, that they were running at a deficit of sixty one million wow. 
um, wow. in their last year or 2000. I think it was 99. Um, he says we were we weren't listed as a line item. We were listed as other. And so there was a lot of stuff that was going into that other, and a lot of it probably didn't have anything to do with WCW. That's Bischoff's yeah. take on it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so, you know, you read about this stuff with Russo, you know, and it's just, it's like, God, that dude could not help but just shoot himself in the foot over and over and over again. And again, the lack of, they had the money, they had the resources, the lack of a focused plan mm-hmm. killed WCW. In the end, that's what it was. You know, it's what like they been, offered Hogan that ridiculous deal, yeah. shooting themselves yeah. in the foot. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been interesting to, to if, if, Herb Abrams hadn't approached Vince about promoting on the West Coast, or if he hadn't had the the type of reaction that he did, where he's got his own upstart promotion, you know, run a handful of shows, maybe go to Vince and say, "Hey, you know, uh, let us handle your business on the West Coast." Of course, mm-hmm. Vince, you know, he's going to say no to that. Yeah, he's already yeah. well established on the West Coast. He's yeah. not going to delegate uh, any of his booking opportunities there to somebody else. Yeah, but if if Herb Abrams had just said, "All right, well, let's just build our own thing here." on the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, make this as solid as possible and go from there rather than going for the kill immediately, mm-hmm. you know, maybe things would have been different to, to yeah. build things up in a more organic fashion. Yeah. Even, I do want to know where in Reseda they were shooting, though, because they did mention it was in Reseda somewhere. I know, I know, yeah. Um, our kind of tangential old stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, crap, I had a point. Oh, oh, one thing I was going to mention with regards to WCW, because there was also, if you think about it, TNA, Look at all the yeah. talent TNA had, man. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like on the verge. And then what did they do? They brought in Hogan. They brought in Russo. They brought in they, Bishop. They, they shot they themselves thought, in the foot. Yeah, they thought bringing in those guys would push them to the next level. Instead, it set them back. Yep, exactly. And that was only one of, of, pro- of many problems there. But again, yeah. lack of a focused vision, mm-hmm. um, a long-term Well, vision. I think Jer- Jeff Jarrett seemingly had a vision for it in the early days. It was money issues he ran into. Yeah, yeah. And that's when he had to bring in. Dixie and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's one thing. I the, the vision aspect probably got a bit muddled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I that that really was kind of an interesting thought watching this UWF because seemingly the wrestlers, you know, not the wrestlers wanted an additional place to work. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want two, three, four companies all battling over talent? You know, mm-hmm. because the so only person everybody gonna, the talent's going to make out like gangbusters in that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, got that right. So that was one of the more interesting sort of concepts uh, uh, looking at the UWF uh, documentary. But uh, but my God, yeah, it was just a there's just a lot of cocaine in this episode. Yeah, a lot of cocaine, a lot of sex. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, no, I was I was thinking about WCW. I, I was reading something the other day. Raven had an interview about uh, uh, about his career in general. And there's been sound bites coming out of it. Wrestle Talk had some stuff, but uh, and I think one of the Wrestle Talk pieces was uh, had to do with when Vince brought him back. Uh, no, 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 no. That that was that. I I think we had both heard. That yeah, we'd heard that before. before. But uh, and I know we had heard this before, but it sort of hammered it home. Uh, you and I really started getting back into it uh, in ninety six, ninety seven, mm-hmm. um, when uh, Revenge, the video game, came out. Mm-hmm. And Raven was on the cover. Mm-hmm. Being relatively new to it, but still having watched it for probably a year or so, I guess at that point, I didn't bat an eye at Raven being on the cover. I thought Raven was like a big deal. He had his own flock. He like they gave him lots of time, lots of promos. Yeah. 
Yeah. It never occurred to me that that there was a question that he was on there with Hogan and uh, who's it? Hogan, Nash, DDP, maybe with yeah. like the main event scene. But apparently the developer, whoever the marketing guy was, really liked Raven. So he put him on there. <laughs> but to me, I was always just like, yeah, Raven's on there because Raven's yeah, hot belongs, shit. Man. Yeah, he's, he was incredible. Even flow DDT, man. Hell yeah, man. So like when you look back on that stuff and you're like, oh, my God. And, and we all know this. The sheer level of mid-card talent that just stayed in the mid-card is obscene. It's, 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 it's crazy, man. It's crazy. The number of eventual main eventers that were mid-card talents at WCW is insane. It's They had Jericho, Guerrero, and Benoit all just in the cruiserweight division. And Mysterio. And Mysterio. That's insane. That's crazy. That is crazy. Do you imagine the because they were talking about Bash at the Beach and uh and uh how uh I don't know, I think it was Russo. Russo or Bischoff talked about how uh I think it was Russo because he wanted he wanted to know who the guys, who the wrestlers thought. Mm-hmm. This is according to Russo, so who knows? He wanted to know from the wrestlers who the locker room thought should be the world champion. And every one of them pointed at Booker T. They all pointed at Booker T. And so Russo was like, okay, that's the guy then. And that's when we saw Booker T, you know, uh, sort of emerge. But it's like, yeah, you got Booker T there. It's like you have all this talent. Yeah. And then look at what happened because there was a lack of a focused division there. Mm -hmm. And you Mm -hmm. had Hogan's contract just killing everything. Albatross, yeah. It was like that that Bash of the Beach thing. It was just endless negotiations with him and his lawyers over the finish to the match. That's obscene. Yeah, that's That's obnoxious. But yeah, no, the UWF, it was interesting stuff, but like – you know, you never get the you never get the idea or the impression that like they were ever going to be a real threat to anything. You know? No, because yeah, they may have had, they might have had a decent roster, but in terms of the presentation of their television show, like I understand, like on Raw, WWF had like the, the Ico Pro banners, like the vinyl banners and stuff, but at least they looked like well done. Yeah, just I think the based on the design of the UWF logo and the nature of the banners they had made. It just it didn't look it didn't look at that same level. Yeah, my favorite bit was when Foley said, "Yeah, I went to Herb's office," and he said, "Hey, this is gonna blow people's minds." And he was like, "Oh, oh yeah. cool, there's some like wrestling talent that he got." Yeah, and he busts out some bright yellow cowboy boots with UWF like branded into them, mm-hmm. and he was like, he actually thought that people were gonna pop, they were gonna go crazy for his cowboy boots, for his yellow boots. Yeah, it was for the Vegas show. Yeah, it was funny seeing a. Uh, Foley drop a promo in like 1990. Yeah, I know. I know. That one little clip of, of the promo. Yeah. And I like how he was like, you know, I saw those empty seats and all I thought was that's more places to do stuff. Yeah. And he got to fight Snuka. So like people have like fond memories of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, given it's funny, but given within the context of like Foley obviously has been everywhere. This is probably just a blip on the radar for him, but oh, yeah. it's such oh, a big yeah. and his the kicker at the end when they said, where would Herb Abrams be today or what would he be doing today? And Foley gets his big grin on, a fa- on his face and says, time, there's <laughs> no way he wouldn't be in jail if he was still alive today uh, and and hurting nobody but himself. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was it was a fascinating look into a guy who had. 
a lot of passion for cocaine and wrestling and hookers and mm-hmm. uh, and people seemingly. I wonder how commonplace stories like that were in the late 80s, early 90s when, you know, there, there was still a great deal of excess where people had a lot of money and were pursuing things and were ultimately undone by their own uh, excess, you know? Probably endless. Um, one of the other funny stuff, one of the funny things that I thought that, that it struck me as funny was, sorry, what was the name of the, of the, the heavy dude who was the manager? Oh, shoot. And he I, reenacted the, uh, when he checked into his suite in Beverly Hills and yeah, and Herb comes in with a couple of, uh, uh, hold on. I'll have it right here. Uh, it's on the tip of my, Oh, here we go. Know. Uh, Marty Esberg. Yeah. I think that was him. Yeah. Yeah. And it even says it here. So I'm looking at 411mania.com. They always have like extensive recaps here. So I just go to that instead of taking my own notes. Um, the, the, my, the fate, my favorite little comment here, it was so under, he said he was in. So Marty is a dude from the Carolinas. He's South Carolina, South Carolina. Yeah. And he said, as he was coming up, he heard about a Mark out of California that was throwing him out around money with the UWF. It always amuses me when these wrestlers refer to fans with money with a vision as marks because and then he goes out there and then he ends up being a mark for Hollywood because he's like and then there are some there are some escorts, some call girls, some hookers, but they weren't these snaggletooth call girls. We're talking about Hollywood honeys. <laughs> I'm like, who's the mark now? <laughs> All this guy has to do and Here's the funny thing, like the Hollywood honeys, they probably really weren't all that special either. Well, the funny thing about all that too is that uh once Herb brings out the the cocaine, uh-huh, and the dude's like, All right, SWAT team's coming. Yeah. I want nothing to do with this. Like, how much this guy has seen a lot of movies and a lot of episodes of Miami Vice at this point to know that if there's cocaine, like the cops immediately know and they're oh, going to be a sting operation at that point, you know, <laughs> exactly. So like they just turn into these like innocent little <laughs> boys who are like, Oh, we got to get out of here. We're going to be in trouble <laughs> when it was like, you know, probably just, just another day for Herb Abrams. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I, I like that Herb really wanted to, he really wanted to, do away with uh, Vince McMahon. He wanted to crush Vince McMahon. <laughs> like, obviously, he came nowhere near that. No, no. And, no. like, to see his face during the pay-per-view, how dejected he was um, over, like, the, uh, the the turnout. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just sad, but, man, it, yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty comical, too. I think the next one is on the Road Warriors, I believe. Yeah, that should be interesting. Yeah, that's pretty what decent. angle they're going to take with that one. So, yeah, that should be good. Uh, so, anyways, join us for that, and then of course, uh, when are we putting this one up? To, to set tomorrow, Saturday? Yeah, we can put up some point Saturday. So uh, Sundays uh, is all about Money in the Bank. Free. Okay, yep. cool. Yep. So uh, yeah, tomorrow check out. We're going to be doing our live reactions at Money in the Bank. Join us mm-hmm. then. Big Red's going to be on the line, man. Maybe you'll bring him home. Are you even? Are, would you? Would you at least put him in the background of your shot? Uh, I'd have to get approval for that. <laughs> Since this is my bedroom, oh, this isn't my man. space. This is All shared right. space. All right. The uh, bed is to my left over here. Well, just off frame. Maybe listen. I'll talk to my wife. She'll talk to your wife. We'll get it sorted out, man. We'll get it sorted. Whenever out. you say that, that that's, that's oh gosh, it's oh, so irritating. I know. It's the worst. It's really the worst. <laughs> Anyways, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.